It's a, an honor to be with you this morning for those who aren't aware Pastor Jim is ministering with Kathy down at Gatehouse of Fleet with Pastor Chris Barrett uh, and EOG Church down there. If you don't know what that is, it's down south, but not in England. It's pretty close though. Um, nice part of the world, but that's where they are this morning. And so we've been praying for them uh, this morning. And uh, I quite like that song because it's got my name in it. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It used to be These Are the Days of the Elijah because the, these are the days of your servant David rebuilding the temple of praise. Technically, it was Solomon who built the temple, if you know your Bible. But uh, no, it's a great song because we sing the truth of who Jesus is because our worship's all about him. Uh, if it's anything less than all about him, then it's not true worship. But it's an honor to get to share with you this morning. I don't take it lightly getting to preach. And this morning, uh, we've been looking at a series on blessed and We'll be moving on to something new in November, and I'm kind of segueing because I was thinking, and the song Scott spoke to me through the week, kind of, what are you preaching on? And I was like, well, I've got a title and a kind of thing, but I wasn't quite sure at that point what it was going to look like, because it's not going to be a, a usual David sermon, so to speak, but I'm just going to speak for what I believe God's laid on my heart. But I'm going to preach a message that titled this morning called Back to the Future, and then... Um, I went back and forth on loads of different titles, but Back to the Future is the one that I settled on, and I'm going to read from Joshua chapter 4. I just want to read a few verses, and the song we've sang, and the songs we've been singing, are really apt, I believe, to, the, to like what I feel like God's laid in my heart to share this morning, but it's called Back to the Future, and I want to read from Joshua chapter 4, but just before I do that, I want to try and quickly give you a historical overview of where we find ourselves in this passage. You see, we've talked about calling on the God of Jacob and the God of Moses, and but actually, the, the, the history here starts with the God of Abraham, who was Jacob's father, and everyone's father, if you grew up in church circles, you might have heard a song, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, and thankfully when I went to Sunday school and uh, Rise Kids, His Kids, we sang better songs than that, no offence to Abraham, it was just better songs, and um, in fact, I was actually like 20 before I ever heard Father Abraham's song, I was like, I have no idea what that song's all about. Um, so take from that what you will. But basically, Abraham, God made a promise to Abraham to say, I will make descendants out of you and I will give you your own land called the promised land. And Abraham moved. They didn't quite, he didn't quite make the promised land. We then end up with Jacob, who had the son called Joseph, who had a technical dream coat. So he led them closer to the promised land, but they ended up in Egypt, where we know his story. I'm not going to go through all of his story, but what happened was God's people settled in Egypt, and things went well for them for a while. The problem was that God never designed for them to stay in Egypt. It was just part of their journey, but so often we can get comfortable, but I'm not going to preach that message this morning, but basically that which was a blessing to them ended up becoming a curse because they ended up in slavery for hundreds and hundreds of years. But something in them knew that God had promised them a land that one day would be their own. It's actually referenced in the musical. I mean, there's a song called There's One More Angel in Heaven, which is terrible theology. But then there's also a song about children of Israel are never alone, for we have been promised a land of our own, which is incredible theology. And I'm just like, I don't know what Tim Rice and Andrew Lloyd Webber were thinking when they wrote that, because they're so crazy. But then what we find, in, and Joseph, how do I know that this was true? Because Joseph said when he died, please take my bones with me, you, because I want to be buried in the land that God promised us. So hundreds of years go past, and then Moses gets raised up, because God's like, you've had enough. It's time for you to let my people go. And Moses leads the people. They get right to the edge of the promised land, and then they mess it all up, because it's an encouragement to all of us that God's gracious, even though we mess up sometimes. And then it comes to the time where Moses... 
he, we could argue back and forth whether God was a little bit harsh on Moses, but I, I think he'd done the right thing because he's God and he always does. And from our human perspective, and Moses leads the Israelites to this land of promise that God had promised them hundreds of years before with Abraham. We then find Joshua, and this is the moment where they're going into the land God promised them. This is their moment for hundreds of years. They'd waited and waited and waited. And they would have told stories from one generation to another generation to another generation. And then we find that they've just defeated Jericho. They're now, they've crossed the Jordan River and they're about to begin the process of possessing the promise that God has given them. And this is what it says. When all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, now choose 12 men, one from each tribe, Tell them, take 12 stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had chosen, one from each of the tribes of Israel. He told them, go into the middle of the Jordan, in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up one stone, carry it on your shoulder, 12 stones in all, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. So the men did as Joshua commanded them. They, they, had 12 stones. they took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan River, one for each tribe, just as the Lord had told Joshua. They carried them to the place where they camped for the night and they constructed a memorial there. Joshua also set up another pile of 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan at, at the place where the priesthood carried the Ark of the, of the Covenant. Ark of the Covenant was standing. And they, they are there to this day. The priests who were carrying the Ark stood in the middle of the river until all the Lord's commands that Moses had given to Joshua were carried out. Meanwhile, the people hurried across the riverbed. And when everyone was safely on the other side, the priests crossed over with the Ark of the Lord as the people watched. I'm going to skip on a few verses because it goes back and forth. But then it says, then Joshua, right in verse 21, says, then Joshua said to the Israelites, in the future your children will ask, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them. This is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes, and he kept it dry until you were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea when he dried it up until we had all crossed over. He did this so all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful and so you might fear the Lord your God forever. I'm going to stop there. It's an incredible passage of what God has been doing and I really believe God laid in my heart to share this message and I've titled it, like I said, Back to the Future. You see, in this story, and if you followed the journey, and I would encourage you at some point to do so, look at the journey the Israelites go on from Abraham all the way through to this moment and beyond. I mean, it actually gets a bit sad going beyond because eventually they mess up what God had told them to do. But throughout the whole thing, it was God's promise, it was God's plan, it was God's provision, it was God's power, it was God, 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 God. All they had done when they'd done it well was just be obedient to what God said. I've spoken that and I'm not going to go into that again. But you see, you might be outstanding, you might be brilliant, you might be amazing, but you're not God. No matter how brilliant you are, you're not God. And I really feel like God laid in my heart that to take some time this morning to just to go back to the future. Why? Because 
When I look back at each time in my life, when I look back as a memorial and I, I built an altar, a place of worship, every time God done something, it's a reminder not that to look back or dwell on the past, but it's a reminder that if the same God who done it then, it means that the future's also in his hands. That, that he has a plan for your life and he has a plan for my life. You also probably have a plan for your life. And maybe you've heard some stories this morning I might share with you, but I really feel like God laid in my heart this morning that I've this week, I took, down, I took a trip down memory lane for my life. And I started to think about the times in my life when I've, I've built some altars to remind me of the faithfulness of God. That actually, the same God who was with me in these moments is the same God who's going to carry me through the future. Why? Because he has a plan for my life and he has a plan for your life. And this morning, I want us all... and moments to think about the times in your life because it's not about my, my story will hopefully encourage you they built an altar for the future generations so they could see oh God done it for you well he can do it for me but I know that God's done it for you I know he has and we want to encourage people to, to tell the stories of what God has done so that future generations or I say future but anyone who's never heard it who is going through some stuff that maybe you've been through they might be going through it and your, your story can encourage them about how faithful God is. But I remember being a 16 and 17 year old kid who had failed all these exams. Well, not all of them. I passed some, but not enough. And certainly not enough for my parents. But it wasn't so much the failing the exams. It was more that I told them that I'd passed and then I didn't. Um, I didn't lie. I just was like, yeah, the exams went fine. <laughs> Turns out they didn't. And it was entirely my fault. I didn't study hard enough. I didn't work hard enough. And I think that was the, that was the, the biggest problem. It wasn't the, so much the failing. It was more the, why did you say that they all went fine? When you knew fine well, they clearly hadn't. But I remember getting the results and I felt so worthless. Because my whole identity had been wrapped up in this achievement of what I could do. And it was for me. It wasn't from my parents. It wasn't from God. It wasn't from anyone other than this lie that was, my, my whole life was over. It wasn't, but it felt like it. And I remember feeling so worthless and my future was like, I don't, God, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know. But I remember the time when God spoke his promise over me about God causes all things to work together. And I remember crying and weeping. I remember being a mission in Austria for my fifth year. And I was so, I remember the moment where the results were read out to me. And I remember how I felt in that moment and my, when my friend shared that verse with me. And it really, it wasn't my friend sharing it. It was God sharing it to me, just using my friend to do so. And in that moment, it was like all things. And I look back on my life now as a 31-year-old next week, not quite yet, I'm still 30, I'm holding on to that for a week, holding on to that for a week. But I look back and I think, now I've lived the reality, I understand it, God, but I remember being 16 and 17-year-old, like tears streaming down my face, feeling so broken, and I just built an altar of praise and worship, and I was like, God, you know what? I'm holding on to your promises, God, because I've messed up. If it's on my own strength, I don't know what I'm going to achieve. I don't know what I could ever be. But God, I'm trusting in your faithfulness and your promises and your word says this. And so if your word says it, then it must be true because that's what you do. And I built this altar and I look back and I think, God, at 16 and 17, if I had only known what you could possibly do with someone as broken as me, someone who is lazy when it came to like studying as me, God, if you can use me, you can use literally anyone. And I remember building an altar, and as I was preparing this, I looked back to that time, and, and I remember how dumb I really was. And maybe you could argue I still am. But I just remember God, it was like God had grabbed me by the shoulder, and I was like, your plan for your life was this. 
but I've got a plan for your life and he's got a plan for your life too. I don't care what age you are. If you're still on this planet, then God has got a plan for your life. His word says in Ephesians that he prepared good works in advance that you might walk in them. Why? So if you're still breathing, if you're still here, God's got good works and that he's already prepared for you to walk in. You just have to be obedient and understand that. And maybe for you, it's like, you just need to remember that time when you felt like there was no worth. Lou, sing the song, when I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. That time, and remember the altar that you built. Remember that memorial to remind yourself, actually, even on my worst days, guess what? God still has got a plan for my life. I just have to be obedient. And then I was looking over, and I remember... I started reminiscing of my life and I remember the time when I took over the youth from Alan who, he's not here today but he's just became a grandfather again uh, we wish the best for David and Samantha and their baby, it's like Brea, I can't pronounce it so I'll probably pronounce that wrong, I do apologise but, but I remember Alan I wouldn't be who I am today if it wasn't for Alan Marshall and I promised myself I wouldn't get emotional but I just wouldn't be he's one of a few people and many people have blessed my life but he is one of he, he it's been such an encouragement and an example to me. He showed me how to lead with grace and with truth. I've sat in moments of where Alan was in personal pain, but he chose to be better and not better. I wouldn't be who I am today without him. And I remember when I took over... Yes, yeah, so please honour Alan. And, um, but I remember when I took over youth and there was a few of us were taken over and 90% of the people who were on the team left for different reasons. Some were probably personal, they just didn't like me. Some of them, it was just the season had moved on. Some of them, hey, I'll just be real. Some of them, it was probably you just aren't going to fit on my team. And that's just the way it goes. And um, I didn't mean that harshly. Sometimes you don't have compatibility. And there's others who just felt like their season and serving in that area of church was done. But I remember I was so desperate that I had to beg John Paul to stay for a year. Because <laughs> I was just like, I've got nobody. I can't do you with nobody. And I begged him, and John Paul was so gracious, and I'm so thankful for him, not only then, but even now I'm so thankful for him in my life. And, but I, I just remember being so, there was so much happening there, and I remember being like, God, I can't possibly do this. And it was a word spoken over me. And it was not a good word, it was a, we've only been asked to do this because there's nobody better. That was, so, someone said that to me who was close to me, and that was like, Ouch. <laughs> And it might well have been true. But I remember in that season just really being battling and feeling so. But I went back to that, God, you've got a plan for my life. And so, God, I'm just trying to be obedient. And maybe there's a million people who could do this better than me, but they're not here. So, so this, is, this is me. And I remember in that moment just looking back at my life being like, God, if, if this is the area you want me to serve in, God, then I'll serve. And God blessed us. And I just look back on it and I just think, God the strength and the grace and the patience that you must have had with me back then. Wow. But God opened up doors for me to be used in ways that I could never even begin to imagine myself. I'm not that brilliant. I really am not. But one thing I try my best to be is be obedient to what he says. And God's got a plan for your life and so I'm calling you to be obedient and we've probably got some things wrong but we also got some things right <laughs> when it was you. And God deals with it all anyway. I can honestly say that when that season of my life, when I served that, I'd done the best I could. And I probably got a lot wrong and a lot right, but we give God the glory for anything that was good. Why? Because it's who he is. It's Jesus. He was the same God then. And I was thinking back to that and I thought, God, you're just so incredible. And that was a real blessed time. And then I remember the time when Heather and I were getting married. And I remembered the 
I remember we had to get a house, and you've heard this story a million times, but I remember we had to get a house, and we'd done the circle maker, and we were so naive. We'd never bought a house before, so we didn't know how stressful it was or how hard it is or what was involved. We were just naive and thinking, well, God can do anything. We believe that. And so we weed things we had circled, and we were believing God's going to do this, that, and the next thing. And because he just, because he's God, and we had, we had no basis. It wasn't like this is the Lord speaking to you, and he's giving you this vision. We just thought, we'll write down everything we want, we'll circle it, pray, and then we'll just believe that God's going to make it happen. And there was people who are godly people who were like, are you sure about that? Because we then started telling everyone this. So we were saying it from platforms. We were saying it in prayer meetings. We were saying it with our unchurched friends. We were saying it. We just told everyone. And then it got to like eight to ten weeks before we're getting married. And we're like, we don't have a house. <laughs> we need somewhere to stay because we're not living with my parents. And I don't think your mother wants us to live uh, with her. But I'm sure she would have graciously opened the doors if she needed to. And I remember we had these things circled, and I won't go into all the details of that, but basically we had everything, we went to go and see this house, and the big thing we wanted was a house in Presswick. That's what we wanted. That was, we had other things we wanted, we'd prayed, and we believed God could, and then he wasn't doing it. And um, so then it got to the point where we're like, okay, well we now need to like, maybe we should compromise a little bit, and, what, just to, and we went to view this house, and we both were like, well, it's everything we want, but it was like, you know where the Carlton is? So it's like, it's nearly Presswick. It's Presswick Road. And we left this house and we kind of liked the house and we thought, well, we could see ourselves living here. And we both had a niggle in the car. And it was literally just, but it's not Presswick. And we've told everyone that would listen and even those who wouldn't, that our God is the God who can do this, even this impossible thing that we had no idea was impossible to we. And there was just something that's like, we can't live in this house. Because rightly or wrongly, I'm just being real this morning and looking back and being like, our God's going to look stupid if we cave. And it was maybe just we didn't want to look stupid. But that was our... And so we then ended up like, we saw this house that was terrible. The home report was horrendous. And so we went, they had an open day. So we thought, we'll go and see this house. We don't want to stay in this house, but it is impressive. So we'll go. We took care of his brother, Hugh, who's amazing at all these things in the house season. He was like, well, the walls are okay. The actual... House isn't so bad. You need to do a bit of work here, there, and the next thing. But, and uh, but it, guess what I had? In theory, everything that we had circled, forgotten, and we ended up getting that house for less money than we had circled, and the money that was in between was able to pay for the work. Why? Because not because we are brilliant. All we had was this little bit of mustard seed of faith to say, do "You know what, God? My God can do this." And guess what? He did. <laughs> And I remember we built the altar of, well, God, you stretched us in that season. And God, we give you every single bit of glory for that. Because it's only God. To put it into context, the same house next to us, two years later, was sold for like way more than what we bought a house for. And it's the same house. It's literally the same house next door. Why? Because they didn't have God on their side. It's, it's almost like cheating sometimes. But it's because our God is so amazing. So I remember just building this altar, going back to the future. And then I remember, I remember at that same time, you might remember. Because that was a great thing. That was exciting. We were naive and a bit, we're probably less naive now. But I look back and think, I wish I was just as naive now than I was then. I want to see God moving, not for any excitement, glory, but just because that's, that was part of our story that we can then tell to our families and our people not to say, oh, well, God done this. And they can't deny it because they, they saw it. They saw the journey. 
But I remember when John and Tiff and Ariana and Joel Rollo were here for a while, and I remember round about this time we were getting married, so their last Sunday was like the Sunday after we'd got married, and they were leaving. And I remember being told, I don't know why you would do this to somebody, but I remember being told that they were leaving, and it was a God thing moving to Shelton, and I got told on a Monday night before we were about to have a meeting. And I was like, I want to cry. Because I was so heartbroken and disappointed. Because the reality is, even when God moves people on and it's in God, it doesn't mean the disappointment and the sadness isn't real. <laughs> like the emotions are still real. And I remember just being so disappointed in this meeting. I don't even remember what the meeting was about. I remember nothing about it. Because all I could think was the, how dare you leave? How do, how? And I remember that night I just wept. Like I just was, because I was so heartbroken, like they were friends to us, like we loved them, but John was a mentor, John was a friend, he was an encouragement, he always left me better and made me feel like I could conquer the world after every conversation, every time with him, he believed in me, and to be honest, he was someone I had looked up to from a distance, so when they came here, it was amazing to get to spend time with them, and, to, and so I was disappointed, I was crushed, I was like, God, what are you doing? <laughs> How is that fair? They weren't here for long enough, and we knew that at some point they would move on, but I didn't think it'd be so short, and I remember just weeping and mourning, and I remember like my Bible readings at that time. I was reading First Samuel, and that night I'd been reading, and it was First Samuel 15, and it talked about how Samuel mourned over Saul. Now that context was Saul had messed up, John hadn't messed up, the rollers were had not messed up, but I remember that that feeling, that same feeling of mourning over them, that we wouldn't see them again, and it's not that we'd never meet them, but they just wouldn't be. Here I was, I remember morning and morning and morning. Then I woke up the next day and I read 1 Samuel 16. And it said, the Lord came to Samuel and said, you've mourned over Saul long enough. It's, I'm paraphrasing a bit, it's time to move on. And then he did talk about anointing David, but it wasn't the anointing David. It was the, I felt like God was saying to me, the rulers are leaving, whether you like it or not. You can either mourn for them or you can move on. And I remember this altar, there was something in me that was like, well, they're leaving. What are we going to do? Sit and feel sorry for ourselves? Or are we just going to say, well, God, we just need to serve you? Other, the rest of us are just going to have to step up to fill the gap. Why? Because that's what you're asking us to do. And I remember building an altar in the midst of my pain and my disappointment and my heart. And my, I remember just building this altar and looking back to being like, well, you're the same God then. And it's your plan, not my plan. And I remember that we just went on this journey as a church. We processed them through. And I remember the next year, Heather and I hadn't been married a year at this point. I'm just telling stories. But I really feel that God laid in my heart to remind us to go back to the future. But I remember the next year, there was something I'm making of, maybe I should pursue becoming a pastor, training with the AOG, ministers in training. And from kind of like the January through to the, the April, I'd went for meetings and an interview. I'd done my essays. And it became abundantly clear to me in my mind that, I don't think I'm going to be able to work full time at a bank that I was doing at the time and do this. Like, I just, it's not practical. There's no, like, this requires commitments, like, all the time. I don't have enough wallet. Like, I just wouldn't be able to do it. And so I remember being in a meeting in here on Monday night. It's always Monday nights. Seems to be, oh, I don't know why, but it just seems to be Monday night seems to be when the God speaks. And I remember sitting in a meeting through there and Pastor Peter was here at the time and God bless him and we're thankful for him, but I have no idea what he was saying. I have no idea what Pastor Jim was saying. I have no idea what anyone else was saying. Because I just had this nagging feeling inside of my spirit and my soul that was a distraction that was just like, what if? What, what, what if I quit my job 
and just do this training full time with no salary and just go with that. And I remember I couldn't escape, there was a break, and I went to Heather, because we'd not been married for a year at this point. And I said, Heather, I need to speak to you about something. And she says, I need to speak to you about something. And I was like, you go first, you go first, you go first. So I was like, fine, I'll go first. And I was just like, I was praying almost in myself that she would just tell me how stupid I was being, because it's a stupid idea. And she was just like, I was just like, what if I quit my job? And I just... I, I, I try and do this full-time ministry, and we just see what God does. We trust him. And she looked at me and says, get away from me. And I was like, oh, thank goodness. She thinks I'm dumb. <laughs> and then she said, I was literally just thinking the exact same thing. So what we done was we went to our pastor, who's also my dad. That's awkward, because, hey, dad, I might quit my job. Hey, pastor, I'm stepping out of faith. And, going, and, so, and he just said, well, what you do is, why don't you just take two weeks, and you just pray into it, and see what God says. And I've shared the story a million times. I'm sure for 13 out of the 14 days, God said absolutely nothing. It got to the point I was so desperate, I was looking to try and find. And it was almost like he was hiding it all. And I remember the moment where I was like, God and Gideon, it's recorded in Judges. Gideon done this, I think it's in Judges. And basically, he put a fleece out. And what he done was he pretty much said, I'm going to put a fleece outside, God. And if I wake up in the morning and the ground is dry and the fleece is wet... I'll know that it's you speaking to me. So God done that. But that wasn't enough for Gideon because he says, okay, 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 okay. Tell you what, whatever one I'd done the last time, he was like, tell you what, if the ground is wet and the fleece is dry and I might have got the order around, then I'll know. And so I'd done my version of that and I'm not saying do this. But I was like, God, if you don't speak to me tomorrow through my daily readings, having no idea what it was going to be, then I'm, we're just not doing it. That's it. I was just like, I'm, I'm drawing a line under this. And I went to sleep that night and because I remember at that point I was like cre- trying on the train home because I was, I was just so stressed. It was the most pressure I'd felt because I really felt like, we genuinely felt God was in this. But then it was like, we don't want to do it. If, it's God, if God's not in it, we're not doing it because it's stupid. And the next morning I read my daily reading and the first verse for the, that popped up was Ephesians 4.1. It says, live a life worthy of your calling for God has called you. And I remember that moment of peace and then terrifyingness. And I spoke to Heather and she was like, well, we have to do it then. And I remember going into work and it, it took me till like four in the afternoon to email my boss because I was so scared. And I, she spoke to me and I was just like, I have to do this. And she, was, and she said to me, because you weren't a Christian, she was just like, well, if you believe that that's what you've got to do, then you've got to do it. And I was like, oh, well, thanks. And, um, and we began this journey and then God was faithful and the church has been so supportive and we are so, 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 so blessed. But I remember building this altar to be like, well, God, it's in your hands now. But I was thinking about that this week and everything that God wants to do in us and through us. And I was like, I have to go back to the future because the same God who provided then, the same God who's got a plan for my life then has been guiding everything to this moment. And we believe that God has got a plan for our church, but he's got a plan for your life. We are going to plant a church in Covenant. But it's not our church, it's his church. We are just the vessel and the vehicle God is using to do so. But it's not David planting a church. It's not Pastor Jim planting a church. It's not you planting a church. It's New Life planting a church that is going to have an impact on that community. And we're standing on the precipice. And I was thinking about this this morning. We believe we've been on the journey with church planting. We've been on the journey of stretching and strengthening. And this, my whole life has been stretching and strengthening and sending. And God's been moving. And, and he's moving all of us, I believe. 
But we're now standing like the Israelites were. We're ready to go into the... And I'm not saying we're planting shots. That's what I'm saying. There's still the process. But it's like we're, we're ready to go. But I think before we're ready to go, I really believe God wanted to remind us that the same God who's been with us on this whole journey, the same God who spoke to me as a 16, 17-year-old kid when I felt messed up, is the same God who is speaking now. It's his plan. It's him. He opens the doors and he shuts the other ones. And if you're not convinced by it, we done some praise nights in Cumnock in the summer and like they were, they were great. They really were. We believe that God is changing the atmosphere in the town. We believe that it's God's people. It's, we believe there's a spirit, and I'm not saying this, this I've not said this publicly, but there's an, there's, like an, there's an element in me that feels like that's a time of let my people go. Like the devil has had too much ransacking on towns and our cities that it's time for us as the church to say, do you know what, it's time for you to let his people go. And we've been praying, and I pray that you're still praying over the things. We gave the cards, you can still get them at a connection point. And we've done our praise nights, and I have the honour now of being the chaplain of Cumberland Juniors Football Club. That was a complete God story, and it's as if God is reminding us. We're building an altar to say, God, you're the same God here. And the same God who's opened every other door. And it's, I might just be the person who's the chaplain, but it's, it's not me. It's him at work through our church. And we're believing in the next season that as we move in faith, that God is pushing us forward. He's stretching and strengthening us so that we can be sent. And it's only just beginning. And so I want to remind you this morning that in your life, look back to the future. Why? Because if we look back, we can see the faithfulness of God. We can see all the times he provided. We can see every battle he's won and every victory that he's done. And it gives us the confidence to step into whatever the future holds. Why? Because he's the same God who was then, is the same God that he is now. You see, this has been a bit of an unusual sermon, and I please, I pray that you have not, like, please, this is not to glorify me in any way, shape, or form. Because if anyone who knows me, you'll know that I am not that great. I'm just a bit silly and sometimes I'm naive enough to believe that God could use me. The same God who used the people of the Bible who are mess ups and fa- then God, if you can use them, then why can you not use me? God, show me what you want me to do. And Father God, along the, the journey, let me build altars of memorials to remember your faithfulness. That time you healed, that time you provided, that time you set me free. That time when you stepped into a situation that seemed impossible. Because here's the, here's the funny thing. You know, we, we used to have a connection with Presswick Academy. We'd, we just used to have a connection with the local high school. But it was shut down for COVID and different things. And that's the way things go. But we've been praying and believing. And you know what? See, as we've stepped out in faith and come up, and we've moved and God is moving, guess what God's done? Because he's the God who gives more than. Just like the house story where he gave more than we could have ever asked, thought or imagined. You know, we, I've been able to have a meeting with the, they've changed the remits at Presswood Academy. I don't think it's a coincidence that Heather now works there too. I'm not saying that, that that was it, but there's just something in the atmosphere of the school. Why? Because God is saying, let my people go. And I've been able to meet with a deputy head teacher who have changed the remits and it's a different deputy. And she is so open to churches and chaplains and people being more connected with the school. And do you know what the, the crazy part is? Because there's sometimes where you feel like, I could take a little bit of credit. See with this, we can take no credit for it. Because it was an email that came out of the blue, out of nowhere. 
and I've been able to meet with the house captains, the school captains, the head teacher. The, and it's not about me. I'm just the person who God's using in that moment. But I believe that as we step out in faith, God always does more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. And he wants to do I firmly believe he wants to do it for your life too. And so I want to invite the worship team to come back up, and we're going to worship in a moment. But I just want us to take a second, in our hearts and in our minds, to just still ourselves. You can stand if you're comfortable and able. Because before we praise him collectively, we're going to worship and praise him. I just want us to take a moment to think back on your life. To think back on the times in your life where God showed up, where God set you free. All those times, memorials, those times when we can go back to the future. And then what we're going to do is we're going to gather and we're going to worship him collectively and say, thank you, God, for the blessings that you've provided. But we're not just going to stop there. Because at some point in the song, I don't know what we're going to sing. It doesn't really matter what we sing. But once we're done memorializing what he's done, we're then going to give him praise and thanks for what he will do and for the future that is to come. Why? Because that's who he is. He is a God who is moving forward. I don't think there's a song that fits with that, but and, uh, but I'm just going to pray for it and say thank you, and then we're just going to praise, because ultimately everything's about Jesus. Father God, I just thank you for every life here. I thank you for every story and every testament. I thank you for every moment of every life where you've just showed up, where you've done what only you can do, where you've won the battle or you've given the victory. Father God, I thank you that you are there in the hard times and you're there in the good times. Father God, we just, we worship you and give you glory for everything that you've done. But more than that, God, we thank you that you are the God who is moving forward. We thank you that you have a plan for every life, Father God, and we just surrender to your plan. And we just say, God, whatever you want us to do, whatever you ask of us in every moment, we just open ourselves up to being obedient to you in order that you'll get the glory as your kingdom is extended here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.